All right, three, two, one. Assalamu alaikum, guys. Welcome to the Umarpreneur Live podcast. And today I'm bringing you a very special Muslim entrepreneur, a good friend, good brother of mine. We had a few discussions before this, and I honestly just really wanted to bring him on. So I'm so glad that you get to hear some of his wisdom and his insight today. And that brother is Osman Wahid. Osman, assalamu alaikum, brother. Thank you for being here, man. Wa alaikum assalam. First of all, thank you for having me. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you, brother. And uh, nobody else to wanted give... to talk to me, so I appreciate it. Oh my man, uh, it's honestly I'm so excited that we're doing this, and you already know that, brother. So, uh-huh. give you guys a little bit of background, inshallah, on Osman. Osman has an extensive background, building companies and coaching startups from an early age, and his history, which I know of myself, I know a little bit of the story, is very extensive in terms of the projects that he's built, the businesses that he's built, and his latest venture is one that I'm so excited about. And the name is Fursa Capital. Fursa is the country's first ethical and halal crowdfunding platform that provides ethical investment opportunities to the greater Muslim community while offering ethical funding to businesses. And I know we have so many Muslim entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast, um, you know, business owners. And one big thing that I always get is, how do we get the funding? How do we get the investment? Well, with Fursa, they make it easy to raise halal funding for investment opportunities, whether it's in real estate, small businesses, franchises, and other types of businesses through Sharia compliant agreements. So I'm not going to spoil anything else. We're going to dive in. We're going to hear it from the man himself. But welcome, Asman. I'm so excited to dive into all this with you, brother. Thank you, bro. Listen, don't forget, <laughs> I've had my second coffee. So you're going to have to, mus- you're going to, have to muzzle me once in a while. <laughs> Ask me a question and tell me when to keep quiet because I'll go on and on. You know, I love it, brother. I love it. I'll, I'll make sure that you're in the right direction, inshallah. You got it. And you make sure it. that we uh, we go through this. But I, I'm I'm just so excited to hear all you have to share. And I think the best place to start is if you could just give us you know a quick bird's eye view of you know the journey that led you to start Forza Capital. I know it's a long story, and we can for sure fill more than two hours. So if you can just share kind of the bird's eye view specifically with Forza Capital, right? So how you you got inspired to start this latest venture, where the idea came from. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, I told you, Adam. That's a very broad question. <laughs> there's, you know, Alhamdulillah. Look, there's, 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 there's a lot. But if you want to know what the overwhelming, overwhelming kind of influence was, honestly, it was my own pain. Um, right. It was very, it's, it's selfishness. You know, I've, I had a lot of difficulty in this world of being an entrepreneur, of trying to do things and build things on my own. Um, no access to capital. I don't have, you know, an, a, a, you know, any actual siblings, meaning I have two younger sisters, but all they did was, you know, beat me up and get me in trouble. Uh, you know, being the older brother, I was always looking for that camaraderie, that brotherhood that I'd be able to get from somebody. In fact, I wanted it so bad. My first business or one of my first businesses was when I was 16, 17, dropped out of high school to build a cafe. And I literally just gave half the company to a friend of mine just because I wanted to have somebody there with me. Um, There was no other reason for it. And I've kind of grown to realize that that brotherhood that you get when you're building something with somebody, at least by seeing it with other companies, is something that I really wanted. So the biggest driving factor for me, honestly, were, were my own pains, my own difficulties in trying to find funding for ideas that I knew would be really beneficial for lots of people. Um, ideas that I knew could do very good financially, um, as well as socially and over and over and over again, you know, I could prove it. I could get customers right with the idea that it's actually done. I can validate it. Um, I can do my studies, get reports, the whole nine, everything from, you know, X, Y up until Z all I would need. I was never able to do an MVP right today. The cost of an MVP is nothing. It's, you know, it's chump change, honestly. Um, but you're talking about when I wanted to build up my first dot-com company, so to speak, 
it was going to cost me close to about three hundred fifty, four hundred thousand dollars, right? And you're talking yeah. about a guy that you know I, I don't come from money, we don't come from wealth, we're middle lower middle class. My parents are immigrants, so we didn't have Jack growing up. You know, it was it was happy days on Sunday when we went you know across a bridge from New York to Jersey to go to Sunday school, and we knew that at this day we'd get a pizza. And this was like the highlight of every week that we'd be able to actually have pizza right on a Sunday sitting in the back of our truck somewhere in a park after Sunday school. Um, that was that was that was it. That was my highlight every week. And if we missed it, it was depressing. So, you know, throughout my life, I just I felt like, dude, I've got all these ideas and I'm you know, I feel like I'm I always felt like I was creative. I always felt like I can do so much more, but I was so limited um, by a number of reasons. But at the end of the day, it always came down to just if I had some money, something, somebody to just believe in what I was trying to do, I would have been able to, you know, I, I'd be, you know, the, you know I don't want, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. But I feel <laughs> like, you know, Elon Musk, you know, Jeff Bezos, all these things, dude, eh, when you have access to actual capital and money, right. being able to build big, amazing companies, especially today, it's really not that hard. It's mm -hmm. just a, purely about drive, drive right. and ingenuity, like we said earlier, right? Um, that's literally it. It was a selfish thing. I wanted to fix it. My dad raised me. He's like, dude, he's like, you know, don't, you know, don't be like every other person. Don't complain about stuff. He's like, you see a problem, fix it. Um, especially in the Muslim community. He was like, look, he's like, you might be upset with, you know, Muslims around here in the New York and Jersey area. I've been pitching ideas. Can't get people to understand me. He's like, don't be upset with them. Fix it. Find a way to solve the problem yourself. And then they'll come to you. Right. Cause once you're in like in that position of power, then everybody will come to you. And I hate the idea. I always hated the idea of having to be in a position of power to get people to listen to you, right? Or appreciate you. That burns me. I'm like, dude, why can't you just appreciate somebody that has a passion for what they're doing, right? Why can't you just lend a hand to somebody that you believe has got something there? And even if you don't really believe in the idea, you should understand the value of seeding that idea. Um, you know, and a lot of that understanding of, of all this came from, you know, our cousins, Jewish, uh, Jewish brothers in uh, Teaneck, New Jersey, which is probably one of the I'd say strongholds of the Jewish community in this country. Um, they're extremely well networked. They are, you know, they're very articulate when it comes to the world of, or actually the understanding of reinvesting and recirculating uh, money within their own community. So I learned a lot from them. Um, and that kind of envy of wanting what they have and being able to solve this one problem so that other people like me wouldn't have the problem uh, was essentially the overwhelming drive. And initially, I'll be frank, dude, it was a very selfish thing because, <laughs> right, I didn't want to solve the problem at first. I just wanted money for my own ideas, period. And I tried, 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 right? Failed, failed, failed. Doesn't work, doesn't work, doesn't work. And at some point, you have to realize that, okay, you know what? Maybe it's not for me to do it this way. Maybe there's another solution. When I came to the idea of Futsai, even then, just two and a half years ago, when we started building out this idea of let's, why not just have a halal crowdfunding site for startups and businesses and, you know, all these halal investment opportunities. The idea was simple. There's a massive gap. There's nothing bringing together all of these Muslim and socially conscious type of startups within our communities to all of the money that's sitting here right now, right? Um, every investor and every person within our community only has access to a very tiny, small fraction of the overall opportunity. That's yeah. it. You're only privy to your first degree network, period, right? You can hop on some platforms here and there and find a little bit more. And the same thing goes to any businessman or investor. Oh, I'm sorry, entrepreneur. You've got this business, right? The majority of your validation comes from your own community, which is generally bullshit anyway, right? Because you got to go outside your own community, to get it validated. Right. It's why, you know, the majority of businesses and startups fail because, you know, that product market fit. 
So I was like, mm-hmm. wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if we just had access to a much broader community, our community specifically, to throw our ideas and say, look, I built this, I've done it. I believe that it's a really good concept. Can you guys fund it together? Um, and, you know, as I started doing it, again, we go back to my selfishness. This is where it came from, right? Allah, Allah is the one who guides, right? <laughs> you assume you know what's good for you. When I started building this whole concept, the idea was simple. I was like, I'm going to solve the problem. I'm going to get millions of Muslims from around the country, right, to all be on my platform. I was like, that's the easy part. Building it, getting all this stuff, right? For me, in, in my mind, I was like, that's all easy. I was like, the fun part's going to come after. When I start to find, because I've seen some amazing entrepreneurs, right, across the country, across the globe. I was like, how awesome would it be that a broke dude can now finally invest and be a partner, show my value to somebody without any money by leveraging the community's capital, right? I was like, mm. dude, how cool. So in my idea, when I started building this, it was simple. I was like, yo, I'm going to be the first broke venture capitalist, and I'm going to be able to invest and take equity with no money. And I started it that way. But, you know, as you as I started to kind of grow into it, I realized, you know what, in the process of building this platform, you actually can't have an equity stake in any of the companies that are on your uh, on your crowdfunding platform. You can't. Mm-hmm. If there's an ethical problem with it, there's a legal issue with it. And I was really bummed out <laughs> a lot. I was like, damn, bro, you're like, are you kidding me? All my dreams of being able to, you know, have a little bit of equity in all these companies that I believe in and I want to help isn't going to happen. But the beauty in it was the fact that I don't have equity in it makes it a little bit more friendly it makes a platform more non-biased right there's less opportunity for somebody to try and question me about what my motive is right now you don't have you don't have you can't question me because i don't have a motive my motive is very simple just create the bridge and bring the quality businesses that i that i think that fit this particular halal profile onto the platform the rest Mm -hmm. is up to you um so yeah, like I said, bro, you got to me. I can go on and on and on. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I'm, I'm going to stop ahead. you there. Actually, I, w- I want to talk about this a little bit. And mashallah, we got a lot of people tuning in, YouTube, Facebook, etc. So want to give a shout out to everyone. Thank you for joining us and let us know where you're watching from, inshallah. Now, brother, you shared so much, right? And so many interesting points. One of them I really want to focus on a little bit, and I want to talk about a bit more. Right now, you know, I could hundred percent relate to what you're saying as a Muslim business owner, and I grew a lot of businesses previously, and this is what motivated me to start a printer to help Muslims do the same thing. One thing that I believe that we need is more opportunities for Muslim business owners to get funding, to be able to create these amazing platforms, right? And that is really what is right now holding us back. Now, with Forza Capital, the vision is there. This is what you want to do. You want to provide the community with this opportunity. And you know that through providing this, something that you didn't have growing up, that it would have made such a drastic change in your life, that you want to at least bring this change, bring people this, this opportunity to receive some of this, right? To see these chances, have these opportunities that you didn't have. Now, with Forza, of course, this is a huge venture, right? To, to, be, to say to yourself that I want to build something where I'm going to connect investors with business owners and I want to create this platform. And it's almost going to be venture capital, but instead it's going to be, uh, how do you call this? Open to the public. Capital, bro. Right, it's exactly. Capital. Community it, capital, yeah. 100%. So it's open to the public, crowdfunded. So how do you even go about doing something like this? Because it's such a, it's a huge project, right? It's a huge endeavor. I want to know, what was the first step that you took now that you had this idea? You, we understand that you wanted to build this because this is what you didn't have. You want to bring it to others. The idea is there. What's the first step you took to make it happen? The first step. What was the first step? I'll tell you what the first step was. Um, <laughs> realizing that I became complacent. Um, mm-hmm. So I've, alhamdulillah, I've done a lot in my life. I mean, we, you know, 
built some really cool businesses, man. I've had the pleasure of working with thousands of kids across the country, you know, South Asian youth, Bengali youth, Arab, Bosnian, Turkish. We did a lot of really amazing things from that kind of, uh, you know, you can call it philanthropic or whatever you want. It doesn't really matter, right? At the end of the day, it was just the fun stuff. For me, that was fun. Yeah. Um, I got carried away with doing that because when you come from nothing and you wanted something so badly your whole life, you know the value of having somebody just sit with you and seriously with their heart just, just bullshit with you, right? Like, yo, mm -hmm. let's talk. What's going on? So when we started going to these kids and these youth groups all over the country that you – know, people from economically deprived areas, Muslims, you know, primarily. It, it was a beautiful thing to see. That life and everything I had done, my, you know, you know my, my prior, I should say, just before the last three years, my whole life at the end of the day was all spent in New York, New Jersey area, right? right. At the end of the day, my whole life, for, for the most part in its entirety, with my children, my wife, everything spent at the end of the day was uh, in my home, meaning with mm -hmm. my parents. Right? I wanted to have this gubby hushy gubby gum. I wanted to wake up, bro. I wanted to have people dancing in the morning. I swear to Allah, bro. I wanted to I wanted to come down and from like the upstairs and I swear in my mind I and I, I still will get it. Inshallah, I'm still gonna get it. Right? Inshallah, bro. Sorry, I, love it. I wanted to have my in-laws, I wanted to have my parents, I wanna have my sisters, right? I want everybody like if not in the same house, bro, I wanna have them like literally right there in the same block. Hmm. Um that was my dream. Naive as shit, right? Because you have no clue, right? You know, in my head, I'm like, yo, this is going to be so great, right? Because everybody's going to be together. But you don't realize that when you get married, you've got a, a duty to your wife and a specific duty in a sense where she has to have the ability to make that choice on her own, right? There's a beauty and a value to your wife having her own you know, place, her own kitchen, her own privacy, things like that. I was like, who needs that shit, right? We're all going to be together. We're all going to support one another, inshallah. And then, you know, nothing else matters. Long story short, over the course of that time, I became complacent. Um, when I say complacent, I was very driven. My, my drive for building and wanting to create and change and things like that, that was always there. But complacent meaning you don't realize it. So I'll tell you, the first step mm -hmm. I took, in all honesty, was realizing that piece. And there's a whole story to that, which we, trust me when I say we don't have enough time, enough time for. Um, the nail in the coffin was I have to leave everything, meaning I have to just get out of here completely and cut off all of my ties with my friends, my life, my, uh, my, my parents, my sisters, everything. I need to find a, my cave, go stay in that cave and start to focus in on what I want to do because I realize I, I haven't been able to achieve what I wanted to achieve. And I'm freaking nearing, I'm not going to say my age, but I'm getting, you know, as, look, as young as I look, I'm not at, that young, but you know, it is what it is. I realize that my age was getting, is increasing, but I haven't hit those goals. You know, I right. missed that four of 30 into 30. And as of last month, you know, uh, Allah, you know, Allah's all merciful. I unfortunately missed the Forbes 40 under 40. I was like, no big deal. Okay, it's all good. I, I still got time. Hey, we're going to get um, 50 under 50 hours, man. Let's get it. Inshallah. <laughs> no, so that was my first move. And that was the best, best decision I've ever made in my life. So I'll tell you what I did. Hmm. The place I grew up, I was born, raised, lived. I know everybody. I'd say from New York to all over the world. I never knew this one, like this country, meaning in the sense where like I hadn't traveled in the U.S., Hmm. Right. Very little, meaning in the sense where it's just my, my travels were mostly overseas and, you know, in that New York PA area. So when I made that conscious decision, it happened very quickly um, within two and a half, three weeks. Um, that decision was made and we got up and left. Uh, my parents weren't happy because I didn't pay any mind or consideration. And, you know, like the jackass I was again, this comes back to being selfish. Right. 
you think you find a solution, you're like, dude, you don't, you stop, you should pause for a second and think about the people you care about, how they're going to be affected. I unfortunately didn't do that. I literally took my wife, brought her back to Dallas once I found this place. And I was like, yo, I really like this place. Let's go check it out. Um, she's like, yeah, okay. It's, you know, it looks nice, but you know, there's like three weeks left before the kids start school. I was like, we can get it all done. Don't worry. And you know, she wasn't hesitant, but she was nervous. Went back, came, came. And with that, I literally left everything. I mean, I left everything. Like when I say leave everything, you don't realize how much more time you have until you do that. And I swear to Allah, by doing that, I had an additional three to four hours every day, every day. I swear to Allah, people just, you won't understand it until you do it. So I lived in New York, New Jersey, between the traffic, the congestion, the freaking headache and stress levels, the wanting to kill two to three people a day, right? It's just ridiculous. But you don't even realize it because it becomes a part of your nature, right? The overall anxiety and stress. Uh, and dude, I already got like ADHD and freaking OCD, bro. And you try, can you imagine with all of that combined? Like I'm like, you know, look like a drug addict at points, pacing back and forth, trying to come up with ideas in my head. And I was like, subhanAllah, when I left and I finally got to Dallas, mm. I was able to breathe, right? I was able to breathe. I could go to the masjid, pray mm. and come back. Meaning I don't have to talk to 25, 30, 40 people saying salam, you know, and wallahi, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I'm not saying I don't want it again. I want it. But I realized that all that time from the driving, from the long discussions and talks and whatever that end up happening at the mosque and bumping into friends at restaurants, anywhere you go. Um, you know, when you remove all of that and you find your own place to separate yourself from the world, you can focus. That was step one. Right? So once I did that, then I had more creativity and juice flowing than I ever had in my life, I swear, because I was so happy with the fact that I can now finally actually enjoy my family a little bit more than I was before. That was step one. Step two was, I said, okay, now with the advent of, look, let's be honest, it really doesn't take much to create a pretty successful company if you're at all somewhat creative, right? Platform technology, fintech, and, you know, between blockchain and all the stuff that's come out, mm. your, your barrier to entry to create something that can potentially be very disruptive. And, you know, don't worry about the word. Don't let the word disruptive scare you, right? It can be disruptive in a very, very small niche market, which means you're not going to make billions, but you'll do very well and be comfortable, right? I thought of like, 50 to 60 ideas in my first three months sitting here, like in the house. And I was like, oh my God, dude, leveraging platform technology and marketplaces just within our own community. I was like, there are so many opportunities. The first one I did, I, again, I go back to my, you know, our cousins, our Jewish cousins. I learned a lot from them. And one of the things was very simple. It came from what my dad used to tell me back when we were younger. I don't know if this is based off a story was, you know, when there's a gold rush, right? The story is like, when there's a gold rush, be like your Jewish cousins. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, they didn't care about the gold. They didn't care about the mountains. What they went out and did was they, they essentially, um, what is it? They, they, uh, they got the picks and the axes. They created the tools that everybody used to go out and do their digging and do their hustling and figuring out where they want to buy the land and whatever. And I was like, yeah, but are you kidding me? If I had a mountain of gold, you're telling me it makes more sense to, you know, sell picks and axes or be, you know, one of the few sellers of it. It's hard to understand that thinking. That's right? mm -hmm. short-term thinking, what I'm talking about. Long-term thinking is how you create the infrastructure, which may not be as lucrative for you specifically, right? But meaning by how you create that infrastructure that everybody else will end up eventually using. Mm -hmm. That was step two. Once I realized that is what I wanted to do, I realized that, you know what? Creating a platform or marketplace of some sort 
solving the biggest problem for me specifically in this country and for every Muslim, once I realized what it was, right, is where I want to be. Um, granted, right, when, when I was looking at the actual numbers, <laughs> they, they weren't nearly as, like, exciting as some of the other things I was looking at. But the barrier to entry was much higher in some of those other areas, tech areas and pharma and whatever. Ideas that I've seen friends working on, they wanted to bring me in on. And I was like, but you have to pause for a second and say, okay, again, I got to think long term, right? What's going to last, you know, not just five, six, seven years. What's going to last, you know, uh, you know, 10, 20, 50 years at least and be able to sustain itself. It was a bridge. Uh, you know, again, we go back to what was the biggest problem. It was literally just a lack of communication, right? Muslim businesses, startups and founders do not have access to money, okay? Mm. But that wasn't the problem. The problem wasn't money. Money's here. We spend tons of money empowering every other culture in the world, right? We, we spend tons of money buying kosher products and getting them more money. We spend like, you know, $120 billion in this country buying kosher goods and products and everything else except for halal. Not because we don't want to, it's because we don't have options. It's like, how do you solve it? Again, it wasn't the access to the money. It was literally just access to people that can see what you're doing. Like, how do I create something where I can communicate my idea, not just to TNAC, which is the community that I was in. How do I tell everybody in the country what I'm doing? Or for that matter, eventually in the world, right? I was like, it can't be that hard. So it's, you know, I, I knew Kickstarter. I knew LaunchGood. I knew all these companies. I was like, bro, I was like, this is cool, man. But like, I, I don't want to do no Zagat-based uh, uh, crowdfunding because that's like, there's somebody already that's done it and he's done it well. Right, you know, Chris. Uh, you know, Chris uh, from Launchgood. I've seen his platform. I've seen his work. I was like, dude, the dude, he's doing a good job. I was like, I want to do the problem that kind of plagued me my whole life. I want to do that equity and debt-based type crowdfunding. I want to solve the problem for every entrepreneur going forward. So that was step two: figuring out exactly what I wanted. Step three: validate it. Um, at first, it wasn't Fursa. It was what we called halal franchise. Halal franchise. Why? Again, when we go back to, I wanted to solve the problem by helping people. I wanted to start at the, I don't want to say the bottom, but I wanted to start at the most uh, economically deprived. You know, I wanted to start at the bottom of the pool in the center. I wanted to help the people that would never have it. Guys like me, right? You know, my parents, where the idea of making 15% on even a $1,000, you know, uh, investment wasn't even like, we just didn't see how that, how that would happen, right? So how do we get that access that all my friends had, my rich friends, were always talking about, oh, we made 15%, 20%. I was like, damn, bro, I think my dad makes a good percent and a half with the bank or something like that, right? Because I, I am not a finance guy. Um, I was like, how do I open up the doors for everybody else? Like, the answer is already there, crowdfunding. I was like, how do we, why don't we create some sort of a platform that allows the average person, the average Muslim in this country to tap into this sort of funding and these sorts of opportunities? Okay, the second problem was, how do we do that for the people that may not know anything about investments? Right. So there's this huge transition of wealth, the largest transition of wealth actually ever in our history happening now. Uh, and it's happening with like the baby boomers going down to this generation. So it's, you know, it takes 25, 30, 40 years, whatever it is. And I was like, we don't have any actual tools helping us recirculate this, this money, this massive amount of wealth that's going from one generation to another. We don't have any tools to literally just recirculate that within us. So what does that mean? Those trillions of dollars that we're going to have are now going to go to Procter and Gamble and Kellogg's and you know all these companies that other people own. So we're going to give them more power, right? More wealth. And then we're still gonna continue to bitch about, oh, we don't have unity, you know, don't give the Muslim guy business because you know his quality sucks. And you know, people love bitching, bro, but they don't they don't this this is this is what most people do. And I hated it. Again, bro, you know, my dad always told me, don't complain, fix it. 
Mm. She's like, you know what? Be the change you want to see in the world. 100%. And I was like, okay, you know what? I don't need anybody's approval. Let's just go out and do it. At first, it was like, do I do Sharia compliant or not? Like, who cares? Just do it, and we'll figure it out as we go. So when I called it Halal Franchise, the reason I wanted to focus on franchises is because I know a lot of people that fail at it, right? Like most people do. Why? Because these uncles and aunties, these immigrants, Bengalis, Pakistanis, Indians, bro, they come from their country, and they don't know any better. They only know what they know in their country. Now they come here, they spend their life busting their butts working two to three jobs, hardworking, honestly, more hardworking than most your, most your average Americans. We've gotten lazy and complacent. And that, that means me too, right? So you get lazy, you like, you know, you're like this whole demand economy. Like I want it now, 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 right? Because, you know, later is not good enough for me. Uh, so I realized that. Same I'm like, day oh, shipping. Not- <laughs> yeah, same day shipping, bro. For- Allah, yo, don't get me started down that road, bro. Uh, you know, so I was like, look, there's all these uncles and aunties who bust their butts, work really hard. And then when the time comes, what do they do? You know what they do? They respond to the validation they got from their own community. So mm-hmm. let's, let me give you an example. Uncle, uncles and aunties, you know, some you know, Pakistani auntie who's making freaking uh, pakoda and chai. Everybody in the community says, oh, uh, mashallah, you know, Kosar, you make amazing pakoda and chai, right? Okay, take a, you should start business. Like you don't know a damn thing about business, but you're telling that some of you started. Okay, fine. Again, immigrants, they don't know any better. So they're like, when they finally save enough money, they invest it in an area they believe is going to be beneficial for them because everybody in the community said that they wanted it. Not realizing that, again, majority of the people in that community don't know a damn thing about business anyway. They don't know any better. So what happens with those people? Those people that spent their whole life leaving their country to build a future for their kids, come here and put their money into a business that's going to fail. It happens over and over again. And I was like, you know what? I've seen a lot of those. Um, you know, and you know, I've been affected by very similar circumstances myself. I was like, how do I help those guys, right? Like, very simply put, how do I get them from making that stupid mistake that they don't realize they're making? Simply put, I was like, yo, let's find them another business that is a, an existing franchise, already has the systems and all that stuff in place, and let's get them to do that. That way they can build a business in the area that they enjoy, and they can, you know, create some jobs, get an understanding, learn how the business works, and eventually Allah knows best. If they want to do it on their own later, do it later. Barrier entry, what was it? Money. Money and access. Same thing. Again, one more time. Same problem. First of all, the, you know, this world of owning franchises is not made for your average American because the average American is middle, lower middle class. <laughs> How is it that the majority of these businesses are made only for a percentage of the population that is, a minor- that is essentially a minority? That just blows my mind. I was like, why can't we just chip in? Like, you know, we have these freaking committees and stuff like Arabs, you know, out of all the Muslims, there's only, I guess, smileys and like some small Arab communities and Aga Khanis or whatever that actually do it, which is that recirculation of wealth, right? But the overwhelming majority don't. But we've got these, uh, this basic idea, the committee, right? In the, in the masjid, aunties and uncles, everybody putting in money into a pot. And every month, right, somebody takes a stick, whoever has a shorter stick or whatever, gets access to it. At first, I used to think that was silly, right? But then when... My mom used it so many times, bro, just to pay bills because we didn't have enough for water. Or we didn't have enough for a freaking mortgage. So she'd take advantage of this uh, committee. And the fact that she ended up getting that, that, that love, that, that honestly, it's not even love, dude. It's, it's, it's what we're supposed to do, frankly speaking, right? Let's not call it like we're doing anybody a favor. This is the, our responsibility. And we are absolutely supposed to be recircling this money in this manner. So I was like, it would be really cool if we can take that same concept and just globalize it and turn it into a platform. And I was like, the only problem is really just going to be trust, 
right? How do you add people to this committee where you're giving money? So initially the idea started as uh, just franchises. Then it turned into something just that wanted to be Sadaka Jaria. Right? So the, the branding for Halal Franchise, though, by the way, got me at speaking engagements all over the world. I was like at eight different countries over the course of about three to four months speaking at expos and conferences because the idea blew everybody away. They're like, oh, you know, there's never been anything like this before. The idea of just being able to access these franchises or businesses on my mobile device in our community and quickly just either invest or say that I want to own outright or whatnot. You know, I don't want to get into too much detail because you'll see it with our launch. But that was my validation. Mm -hmm. Now I got the validation. So I moved. I made the first sacrifice. I spent a lot of time, made the second one. Once I validated this idea and I realized this is exactly where I need to be. Third step, money, right? That initial capital. Um, when we came here, we came here with our life savings, right? The idea was, okay, finally, we're going to pause my kabi khushi kabi gum and we're just going to go solo, right? Just for a little while. So with my, you know, I literally, I, I had to get permission because the majority of the money was my wife's. I was spending my time doing charity work and all kinds of fun entrepreneurial stuff my whole time, my whole life. And I had that support system. That is a blessing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, everybody likes to think about, oh, it's, you know, it's so easy. Nah, bro, it ain't. You're an idiot if you think being, you know, an entrepreneur trying to be in this life is easy. Um, so I asked, I said, look, I had to get my, uh, my wife savings and my life savings and get every, all the permissions put together. Once I got all of that put together and she agreed on the sense that, look, look, this is what we want to build. This is not just charity. This is actually financially can be pretty viable. It makes sense. If you're okay with it, let's skip the house. Um, the buying the house piece um, that you only waited like 20 years for, right? And let's just do this and then I'll buy you like the biggest house you want, right? <laughs> Simply put, I was like, I'll get you whatever you want in like a, a year, a year or two, whatever. So I got her permission. That was step three. And then after that, it was, you're all in. Uh, I put all my money into it. Uh, spent the first year, COVID happens. We had branding issues, halal franchise, while the rest of the world loved that, that brand. It was, it worked really well everywhere here in the country. Unfortunately, Muslims didn't know what the hell a franchise was. Um, and every time you put the word halal with franchise, they just assumed chicken and rice, right? Like, oh, yeah, New York. I was like, no, bro. I said halal franchise, bro, not halal guys. And then, again, <laughs> you know, and then the second thing is, okay, so then they're thinking franchise meaning just a restaurant. I was like, no, it was like a franchise is any business. I was like, it could be a technology platform. It can be a janitorial service, motel, hotel, gas station, whatever. I realized that now I've got to educate people on a franchise. On, on the word halal, then I got to educate them on Islamic finance. It's, it's too much work. I can't do it. It's just, you know, you're barrier to entry. I'm, I was like, it's too hard. Mm -hmm. So I said, what if we just got rid of the word franchise and focus on just general funding, like Islamic funding only for Islamic type of businesses, like halal businesses, simple. Yeah. Um, and as soon as I started pivoting, we realized that the demand was, it's more than there. So yeah. I want to ask you a quick question. I'll interject here because I know, you know, th there's so many exciting ways and directions that we can, that we can essentially take this conversation. Yeah, one is, one is, you know, now that you're, you're at this stage and, uh, mashallah, you know, you're, you're almost launching. And I believe if I check your social media, are you set to launch in March or when do you launch exactly? Has this launched yet? Is this still in the works? What can we tell people that are listening? Uh, this is where you hear crickets in the background. What can we expect? When can we expect to use this platform, inshallah? I told you I told you I have OCD and ADHD, right? I made that pretty clear. So, we're so ready what, to launch. what are we looking at? We, perfectionism? We, are you saying perfectionism is getting in the way? It, it's 100% getting in the way. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it's definitely gotten in the way. Um, and it's, it's not even, it, it's a problem, 100%. But look, 
we'd be ready to launch today. I'll tell you what, alhamdulillah, by Allah's mercy, it's a problem, but it's a good problem. That post I put up about the fact that we had gotten our thing, and I was saying, alhamdulillah, um, really just added a lot of burden, you know. And again, I'm going to make this very clear. This business, no matter how much money it makes and how much it does, is it becomes my responsibility, simply put. And I take this as a as a as a burden at the end of the day. So I don't take it as a joke, right? Most people just see a business as a business. I don't. Uh, you know, as a Muslim entrepreneur, I see it doesn't matter if you're a Muslim and you're an entrepreneur and you're doing your business for 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 Allah's sake. At the end of the day, it should be a burden, right? Mm-hmm. It, you should understand that whatever you're doing, there's an, a there's a cause, a specific mission and focus to help society. So how is it you can't be burdened by the idea of doing something like that? I, I don't see that. So anyway, I, I was, you know, look, dude, I don't come from a finance background, bro. Again, I dropped out of freaking high school, man. You know, I don't have your traditional education. So when I started realizing the amount of burden that has fallen on me about understanding finance, what I can and can't say, legal and regulatory compliance, SEC and FINRA rules and guidelines. And for Christ's sake, man, I couldn't even read like a Dr. Seuss book without falling asleep. I was like, what's the point of this nonsense? And now I'm getting like these five, 600 page documents from like, you know, the SEC and FINRA of stuff that I, as the, you know, the compliance officer, the securities officer, the company, so to speak, need to know. I'm like, bro, you got to be shitting me. There's no way. I was like, how is it you expect me to know all this? And I'm like looking at it. I was like, no, I'm going to hire somebody. And then I was like, oh, wait, you need money for that. I was like, okay, I'll figure it out. Right. So I had to, I had to sit there and learn it. Right. Literally. I love that so, moment. I need to hire somebody. Oh, wait, no, we need more money for this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> every business owner struggle like every single day. 100%. 100%. So there's a blessing in it though, right? <laughs> I learned a lot. I learned a lot and I really enjoyed what I learned from all that reading at the end of the day. So again, I'm, I'm ducking your question, but we could technically launch today. That, that, that particular, <laughs> that post, man, that post, what it did was we ended up getting a huge influx of demand from not just in the country, but all over the globe of people that have been waiting. Cause I've been telling people very straightforward that as soon as we're done and we create our whole technology stack, we've got some really cool, let's just say technology stacks kind of one layer on the other, Alhamdulillah, uh, that we've been working on. Um, and there's a lot of interest from different people that want to kind of take our tech stack back to their areas and their regions, Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, South Africa, whatever. Um, I got overwhelmed, to be very frank. Um, yeah. And I just, I, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I had to find another another cave. So I ended up going to my closet and trying to figure out, dude, yeah, I can't do this, bro. I was like, I was like, oh, I was like how am I going to possibly be able to run this company without any more money? I can't do it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? Let's do another uh, another small kind of friends and family round, which is what we're in the process of doing now anyway. Okay. And uh, I, I'm... Inshallah, I feel very confident that just before Ramadan, I think we'll have our first one or two campaigns live. Um, and we go back to like, you know, what kind of businesses are we going to have? There's so many opportunities, bro. And remember when I started this, my heart was with wanting to help those guys that were like me. Hmm. And I will do that. And I will, I will focus on it. And we're already in the process of launching a secondary kind of a marketplace exactly like this, specifically for early seed stage startups, right? But I realized my responsibility is to the overwhelming majority, which are those investors, right? So I don't, I just didn't feel right about bringing those early stage startups until I do enough to educate everybody on the potential risk associated to investing in early stage startups, right? right? It's an extremely risky business. I don't care about the risk and people should not care about the risk. That's a weakness, right? If you, if you, if you're, if you got a fear, it's a weakness. 
So how do you remove that weakness? Understand that that particular risk is actually a massive value, not just to the person that's doing it, but to your community. If you are helping a Muslim fail and fail quickly, you're doing a huge service to the whole community. Why? Because the amount of time you have now saved them, they're going to spend that time in trying to come up with something different or working on new products and working on new innovation. Instead of, you know, some brown guy with a beard sitting in a freaking his friend's living room for three years trying to bang out a technology product that he swears to God he can make billions of dollars off of. And he's proven it, but he can't get the money to build out his MVP. Three years, bro, I spent in a friend's freaking um, living room overlooking New York City thinking that I'm going to have that building. I'm going to have that boat. And not, not literally buy, but I want to know that I can buy any of the stuff that I see. Three years. If somebody had come and just literally given me five thousand, whatever, ten thousand, whatever, just to even just just toy with me for fun, say, look, I like your passion. I like what you're doing. It makes a lot of sense. Let's see if you can pull it off. And if I failed after six months or eight months or one year, you know what I would have done in the next two years? You guys would have had Forza like three years ago, bro. Already, hundred percent, right? You would have had it a long time ago. So, so blame the guys that never wanted to believe in me in the first place. Um, I want want to ask you something. I want to ask you, I want to add something to that, inshallah, because in the same, in the same vein of what you're sharing right now, I want to ask you, you know, why, well, not why, but at least with with yourself, why do you believe that right now is, is an important time? And right now is the right time for Muslims to have this opportunity? Because as you mentioned earlier in the podcast and the episode that you, uh, as, as we're growing up and even previous generations, when we came up and with our fathers and parents, et cetera, the priority was let's set up the mosques, let's set up the community centers, the community organizations. But now with our generation, it's like, okay, we have that. Now we need the support systems. We need the financial backing, et cetera. Why do you believe that right now is the moment? We, we need this right now. Um, so I'll, I'll say something. Um, again, I don't mean to sound cocky, bro. I don't think, I know for an absolute fact that this is the most opportunistic point in our history from you can say the fall of the uh from the loss of the islamic golden age or even the fall of the ottomans um again that's fact and that's again we can go into lots of conversations about that but i'll give you the the over you know the overwhelming kind of five points with the 500 foot view um there's statistics and data to show very simply that within three generations you're a wash right you're a, you're you're you know, for lack of a better term, you're a fabric with no color, no character. What does that mean? Our parents that came here, they were the first generation. They brought whatever deen and culture and whatever they brought from their homes, right? That was the first. They were the immigrants. The first generation born Muslim American, which is me, right, at the end of the day, already has lost more than half of that, okay? And this is, again, these are statistics. I can give you reports and all that fun stuff. I've, I've done my fair share of reading. Um Within three generations, you pretty much have a complete lack of that culture, that deen, that, that Islam, whatever it is that you're part It's all gone. So that's what's happened historically over and over again. Knowing that, right, if we're at the first to second generation of uh, Muslim Americans in this country, do you see another option? If we don't start to build something now, we're going to completely lose ourselves. I swear to you on my life that you won't have a choice unless we start to not just kind of save our culture, but start to work with another kind of, you know, uh, seed and and nurture that level of ingenuity and creativity that go with our values and our culture at the end of the day. Um, It's not easy to go out and find companies that believe in the same 
you know, uh, save the planet. You know, this this whole fad thing that people are doing. You got all these Fortune 100 companies. Of all of a sudden, everybody wants to not use cancer-causing plastic or doesn't want to waste water and all. Dude, that's such bullshit. Like, as a Muslim, we're we're born to work like that. We have been told from day one: you don't waste, you share, you don't use things that are bad for you. This was a part of our culture. Why do we need to, you know? go and support companies now that knew for absolute fact that these things were poisonous and bad for the, for them a long time ago. They only did it now because it makes more economic sense. We, there's, there's no need for those companies. So again, point one, we don't, we want to save our culture and your history or your religion. You damn sure better understand that you're going to lose it within one more generation. If you don't start to reinvest and circulate that money within, uh, you know, the community, number one, number two, where are we today? Um, again, I talked about this earlier, the largest transition of wealth in our history, meaning not ours as Muslims, mankind's history is happening now. What does that mean? That means that, you know, the, the largest amount of wealth, which has been created ever, right, is now being moved down to another gener generation, simply put. Now, we can say that that's cool. It's not. It sucks because we have no actual tools resources, institutions, factories. We don't have jack to take that billions and trillions of dollars and put into so that we can start to leverage that wealth and again, create more jobs and businesses and services that are beneficial for all of humanity. And again, go, go back to you know, you know, serving our, our own needs, moral and ethical needs and whatnot. So that's two, right? So now you got the culture and religion piece. You have the piece of this large transition of wealth. Um, what else? I mean, look, dude, COVID. Do I do we need to say anymore? The world, the whole world is hurting. The whole world has got a little bit of fear in them. The whole world now, for the first time, finally, is hopefully not taking everything they have for granted. I'm hoping people aren't so stupid as to have gone right back to where they were prior. If they were, I have no need for people like that in my life, right? But if you now understand that being clean, right, is important, you know, socially distancing, meaning having some ikhlaq and, you know, respect for a person's privacy is important. If you understand that eating good food is important and you're now realizing that these things are beautiful, right? And the fact that being able to sit with my friend or my, you know, cousin or friend out at a freaking coffee shop and just BSing for a couple of hours whenever I want was a blessing. Now that you realize that everything you've had your whole life was, it, was essentially a blessing, I'm hoping now this is the point, if anything, the whole world is also looking for change. They've realized everything we've done, this financial crisis, the markets, the way they've been collapsing, and there's like up and down every day. Like, you know, these geniuses want to ride these roller coasters. They don't realize that the fact that there's a roller coaster is the first problem, right? You know, this, this economy of ours just hasn't worked. Every debt crisis going back for the financial crisis for the last 800 years has always been a product of debt. We didn't have this nonsense in Islamic, you know, in Islamic, you know, you know, economies, so to speak, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I'd say these are the three overwhelming. And if I need to give you more, then I'm sorry. It's just, you know, not you specifically. <laughs> I but, love that, know, brother. I love that, brother. <laughs> I love that you shared that. And you're dropping so much gold. And honestly, the love shows with all the uh, all the comments that are coming in from the audience that are just absolutely amazing right now. I, I want to, there's so much more that I want to talk about. And honestly, I want to bring you back on, brother, because I know <laughs> we can keep going for hours, man. Um, we'll dive into Q&A soon, inshallah, guys. So whoever's watching live, if you guys have any questions for us, man, that you want to ask, Drop them in the comments and I'll make sure to sneak in a few towards the end, inshallah, that we can ask him. So please drop them in the comments. Now, if you want to get a chance to hear your question actually answered, we got one more for you, brother. What's in store for the future of Fursa Capital? So right now that you're in this position, I know you mentioned, inshallah, you plan to launch uh, hopefully before Ramadan. 
what are your plans within the near future? What can people expect? And also, just real quick, if you can share with people, who is your ideal profile to sign up to the platform? Maybe someone's listening to this and they feel, and, and you know, it, they could be an ideal person to be signing up. And inshallah, we can send them your way. So can you also share some of that, please? Yeah. Um, okay. Our future plans, we have a lot of them. Um, I'll give you the overwhelming, I should say the overarching uh, kind yeah. of vision of the company. Um, it, simply put, we are going to, uh, inshallah, of course, we're going to, we're looking to become the seed for reigniting that same creativity and ingenuity from the Islamic golden age. If you want to make it very simple. Um, anybody that doesn't know what the Islamic golden age is, I'm not going to tell you. Uh, I think you should just, no, no, because it's just a beautiful thing to just go through it, uh, you know, and understand what that is. When you realize what we have done for people and humanity, and you actually do a little bit of your own research, then you won't ask me a second level question. Uh, everything that you have sitting in front of you from technology, biology, astronomy, the whole nine, the, all this stuff really honestly was seeded, put together, organized, re-engineered and created and invented by Muslims. Okay. And, you know, you can go and read thousands of blogs. You can have a lot of people explaining one thing. Yes, absolutely. Muslims were the first ones to create the idea of this house of wisdom, this university, creating free education. Right. Okay. Number one. Number two, you know, this, this, this nonsense of like, you know, patent trolls and patent whores and whatever it is they call them. Right. They just want to take all this IP and hold on to it. Right. It's just a bunch of stupid people that aren't creative. Remember that. Right. In Islam, there's no room for this. Because if you're building a business and you're, you're, you're creating something or you're inventing something, the purpose wasn't to sit there with freaking IP in your pocket. No. If you're too dumb to innovate and continue doing it, then you should be happy with the fact that you've created something and leave it be. In that time, people created, invented, and built amazing things, right? And what did they do? They put, they put the information in a freaking book and they put it onto a shelf. And people from around the world, you know, um, uh, Jewish scholars, Christian scholars, Buddhists, I'm talking about from around the world, would come here to the house of wisdom with Muslims, and they would say, let me see what you got, right? Yeah, you know, I'm a doctor, bro. I'm going to open up a, an eye clinic down in Syria or whatever the hell is. Right? Let me see what you got in eye surgery section. Okay, fine. Cool. Let's go. Here. Here are some tools we invented. Here's, you know, we realize that this is how the cornea uh, works or acts literally straight up. And, oh, yo, that's really cool, man. Would you mind if I uh, get a copy? Why not? Okay, yeah, here's a book. Take a pencil. Go. Recopy the whole thing. Take whatever you need. Khalas, go back to your place. Make it better. Do what you can with it. And because we're doing it at the end of the day for his sake. Simply put. Um, and, dude, I, you know, I'm, not, I'm not a religious guy. Right? <laughs> like, don't look at me because I'm a brown guy with a beard, for example. I'm not a Muslim. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a religious guy in that sense, right? Allah, Allah knows I want, I want to do my best to be the best that I can for, for whoever I can be good for, inshallah. But it doesn't take a genius to understand the fact that there's a beauty in doing it this way, the Islamic way. Mm -hmm. So going to your point, um, or I should say to your question, yes, we, inshallah, we literally, the way I plan it is whatever tool, and platform and whatever work we do, at least for the remainder of my life, however short or long that might be, is going to be specifically to try and create the things that will help reignite that exact same creativity amongst the faith-based, like-minded Muslim entrepreneurs across the globe, simply put. We just want to be able to reignite that exact thing so that when my son, inshallah, is you know, 30, 30 years old or whatever it is, he will have access to anything he needs if he's got that creative spark. He shouldn't even think twice about it. He should be able to hop in 
Kafursa, wherever it is, you know, uh, whatever platform it might be at that point, and just say, you know what, here's the idea. Here's some validation. Here's what I want to do. Here's why I want to do it. You already know my mission and my goal is to serve humanity. So this is how much I need. And it shouldn't be that difficult to get it, bro. Um, so that's that's a few. That's as far as Fursa is concerned. As far as meaning uh, our, our our vision, inshallah, for the future. Um, and we've done plenty of planning in and around that uh, for the next 15 years, alhamdulillah. So alhamdulillah. as far as the, the ideal candidate, I appreciate that question, um, actually. Because uh, one of the things I have spent, I spend about two to three hours on, I'd say almost every day, if not every other day, is responding. Because again, I feel like it's a responsibility. If mm-hmm. you're going to come to a blog or something of mine and honestly put your heart and words and thoughts instead of just, you know, congrats, uh, Mabruk, if you're going to spend even two minutes of your time, it's worth everything to me. That for me is an extremely valuable and a precious thing, right? Because I know the, I know the value of money, uh, the value of time, sorry. So simply put, I'd say I'll answer the four or five things that I constantly find myself answering for lots of other people. Number one, Foodstar Capital is only going to be doing businesses, startups, and investment opportunities in the U.S. for now, um, at least for the foreseeable six months to eight months, roughly, right? So, you know, let's just say for now, we're only U.S.-based, um, uh, you know, a crowdfunding platform for uh, Muslim and ethical startups and whatnot. So that's number one. Number two, we can, meaning yes, we can take investors from anywhere in the world, but we are choosing not to right now. And that's not because we, for any other reason, except for the fact that it's, again, we go back to it's a responsibility on me, right? Until we feel that the people coming from overseas have a, or we have enough content to share with them that there are tax risks, consequences, whether benefits, pros or cons, doesn't matter. I don't know what they are from your country, right? There are all sorts of issues. There are going to be additional fees. Until we have all that laid out for the regions that are really excited about what we're doing, I'm not, we're not going to turn it on because we don't want anybody, inshallah, we want to reduce that risk as much as possible to, out of excitement, invest in something, then realize a year, two years, three years down the road that you've got some tax consequences for whatever it is or wherever it is you live. So there's a lot of things you have to consider when investing into entities outside of your country. Um, and until we have enough information to offer, we're not going to turn that on, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So yes, US-based entities, um, for the most part, all US and Canada-based types of investors. Um, that's kind of where the focus is. As far as the types of opportunities that we're going to offer, look, there's I mean, at the end of the day, any investment opportunity that can be considered halal for now is what we're focused on. Why? Because um, we don't need we don't need to create a niche within a niche. We're the only ones right now in this country doing it. There are three to four others that are in the process of trying to get licensed and launch as well. And when they come out, you know, if they choose to take a specific niche market, meaning one wants to do franchises, one wants to do startups early stage, one wants to do food products and consumer goods, that's fine. But because we're the only one Again, we go back to we have a responsibility to f- try our best to find and source the things that fit that criteria and allow them on the platform. So what does that mean? If you've got an Amazon business and you need invoice financing, invoice financing, sorry, you know, 100,000, million, whatever it is, right, that you need, and you know that you've got a track record, look, Osman, I've been doing really good. I've been selling this mug. I sell 3,000 mugs every day. Now I want to create a gray one. But for me to create the gray one, there's an MLQ, and that MLQ requires a container. And I don't have, you know, a half a million cash to buy this, even though I'm making a lot of money, then 80% of it goes back to your business. I get it. I've been in the business. I understand it very well. So why can't you come and get your invoice financing from your own community? Um, You know, so we're going to offer that. Um, Real estate, I think the majority of people understand that a big chunk of real estate is midterm to long term. I'm not a fan 
Um, I, I could really care less about real estate, to be frank with you. Uh, I don't find it appealing at all. There's no real creativity required for the most part in investing in those things. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact is this, real estate is wealth preservation. I don't want to focus on that. <laughs> most people will say, yeah, because you broke, you don't have any money anyway. What are you going to preserve? You're right. I got nothing to preserve right now, right? But that's not the point, right? The point is simple. I think more important than wealth preservation is wealth circulation and then wealth creation. I think wealth preservation is the last. Um, and the majority of people that are doing wealth preservation right now, I can assure you, the majority of them haven't done any actual circulation, uh, haven't even paid enough properties of God, let alone taxes. And those dudes are real, you know, trying to sit there and hold on to their wealth. You know, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala open up their hearts and pockets. But we'll have those products, uh, halal food products. We've got, mashallah, we've got uh, SaaS tech companies that are started by Muslims. It could be anything. Uh, franchises, we got a bunch of them, really amazing franchise concepts that are like, look, Usman, I have demand here, here, and here. Um, and I know there's a lot of Muslims there. And I explained to them, I was like, if you launch a campaign and I see your books and everything seems to kind of, you know, look okay, inshallah, we'll put you up and we'll launch you. Then every single one of your customers, think about it. Now you're turning your customers into stakeholders and investors. You tell me where you're going to find that. That's an amazing thing. Because nobody, not even your family, is going to be a more a, a, a more valuable stakeholder to you than the person that comes every day to give you business. Why not give them an opportunity to lend you some money and give them the return instead of anybody else? So turn your customers into stakeholders. That's what crowdfunding does to you. It does for you. Uh, and again, ours obviously being Islamic in nature, we don't we don't do the interesting. So every every single business or I should say um, investment that happens on our platform at the end of the day works very similar to joint venture. Uh, in the sense where there is an actual tangible asset, which is either the real estate, equity in the company, whatever the case is, there is a partnership. This is not like your traditional Western finance where, you know, the risk is for the most part pushed to one side. And at the end of the day, this dude's taking it all. Um, and then number one, number two, you know, these excessive, ridiculous penalties. Uh, penalties are there when one person has taken all the risk. You don't need to really, again, not that you don't need to, right? But you don't need to focus too much on that when it's literally a balanced act. Right. Mm-hmm. When there's literally when you're when there's a seesaw and there's two people on either side, you know, oh, if this is happening, it's because we're here or if this is happening, it's because we're here. So if there's an issue with the business, we're all we're all affected, you know, not just the owners, but also the stakeholders. So we understand if the business closed down because of COVID for three months, are, should we charge him? How stupid is that? So because a guy can't pay his bills all of a sudden now the investors want to start tacking on 20 percent to somebody that's already going broke and doesn't have money. No, that's the Western way of doing things. We don't want to do it that way. Uh, we want to keep it Islamic. We want to keep it friendly, ethical. So everything that will be on our platform will all be Sharia compliant, inshallah. We'll do our best to bring all those opportunities that fit into that halal kind of ethical, moral, inshallah, model. Um, and that will be our job. Uh, and after that, we'll do our best to try and educate you. I love it, brother. Best. I love it, brother. Thank you so much for sharing, man. I wish we could dive into more questions. I know we're getting close to an hour, so I want to squeeze in a few audience questions as well, inshallah, because we got a few in the comments. So we're going to try to do a little bit of rapid fire, if that's cool with you, Aslan. Is that okay? Awesome, man. (laughs) Awesome, brother. I love it. So uh, before we dive into the rapid Q&A, there's just one question that I ask every guest, and I don't want to skip you, man, because I'm so excited to hear your answer. So we're going to do it nice and sweet, but I want to know for yourself, if you could talk to Aslan that was sitting on his friend's living room couch or living there or sleeping there, whatever you want to call it for three years, building that business tech company, you could tell him one thing that he could hold on to, right? A piece of advice, something that could, he could essentially, you know, remind himself of during his journey. What would that one thing be? 
It's Nothing. a tough one, I know. <laughs> I wouldn't tell him anything. I will, this is the first time that I get that answer, yeah. and I love it. I want you to expand on that just a little bit. Tell me why. Look, I'm not going to lie and say I don't have regrets, mm -hmm. um, but I'm very cognizant. I do my best every single day, every time I go to the freaking bathroom, every night when I don't see my kids the whole day and I want to go upstairs and see them, even if they're sleeping, I do my best to try and recognize all my blessings, dude. Because I know I'm weak and I know, you know, um, my, my, my lack of Iman and knowledge and understanding, it's not there. Uh, but the few things that I do, I, I, I like to think that I do it better than most of people, right? And because that's, that's my thing, right? Like it's my OCD and ADHD allow me that superpower to be really good at what I want to do. Um, and one of those things is understanding how lucky I am, how blessed I am. Um, so to that point, the reason I wouldn't tell that person anything is because I don't live, I don't live in the past. Dude. I do my best to never think about it. I don't, we don't cry about spilt milk, right? In that mm -hmm. sense, we're like, I, I wouldn't change anything because, you know, any, any change in my history would have made me somebody else today. And who am I to know whether or not that's going to be good or bad, man? All I know is that today, if you were to tell me, list a thousand things that you've always wanted in your whole life, as you were growing up, I'll tell you, out of those thousand things, 999, by Allah's mercy, I have it. Um, I have it. I have everything. Everything a person could want. Health, family, the whole nine, right? You want to know what that one thing is that I don't have? I think you already know, right? <laughs> it is what it is, right? I'm still broke. I ain't, I ain't got the billions that I want. And the billions that I want, to be very clear, dude, I'm, my reason, my want, my desire to have it is I swear to Allah is to give it away. I'm dying to be in a position where people start to laugh and mock me because they think this guy is stupid for giving so much money away to charity. For me, that would be a really cool thing, right? Like that would really be cool. Like, you know, everybody sitting there and thinking that this is a joke. It doesn't make sense. There's no sense to the types of things, you know, like you know, why just build 50,000 random wells or invest in schools and all over the world. You can't really manage it. It doesn't matter. Well, <laughs> at the end of the day, I just want to give. I love, love, love the idea of myself, inshallah, at one, some point being able to do that from inshallah. behind the curtains. Um, so yeah, I would tell that person nothing. I, I love that. I love that. This is the out. first answer we get like that on the podcast. I've asked this question to every single guest that I brought on this podcast. We're 36 episodes in. Every single guest had an answer. And this is the most unique one I got, I think, which is, you know what? Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Nothing. So I love that, mashallah. It's a beautiful thing. So thank you for that. Brother, we're going to do some rapid fire Q&A because we have lots of questions, but not a lot of times, if that's okay Hit with me. you. Hit me. All right, man. All right, inshallah. So we got a few questions that came in through the comments, guys. We're going to dive into the first one now. And if you guys have any, drop them in now. We'll try to squeeze in as many as we can, but no promises, inshallah. Okay, so we got one here. How do we as Muslims mitigate the risks of allowing businesses we don't agree with to enlist in open public platforms. For example, if John wants to open a liquor store and wants to use the platform, how do we as Muslims not allow them or are we even allowed to ask for SEC? That's an interesting question. So can you limit the businesses that sign up to your platform, I guess is the question, right? Keep oh, it yeah. ethical. hundred okay. percent. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I can, I can, I have the full right, just like a store owner in this country, you've got mm -hmm. the right to deny a person business. Um, right. You know, as long as you state it pretty clearly that this is what you're looking for. If the person doesn't fall within that criteria, Tell them to back off. Awesome. Awesome, brother. Thank you for that. There's another question here, and I'm just really rapidly going through to see if I can pull them up. But if I can't, I'll just read through them. So we got one. Can you clarify what you mean by huge wealth is just transferred to the to the next generation, but not leveraged? If it has to be leveraged, what needs to be done? 
It's a good question. Okay. So maybe if I use the word leveraged, uh, let me make this clear. I didn't mean leveraged in the sense of finance. I meant leveraged in the sense of being reused, right? Using right. what's there to recreate more, right? That's what I meant by leverage, just to clear that up. But mm -hmm. um, in regards to the idea, there are so many articles in regards to the and I, I prefer you Google it because, again, I, I may look like I know what I'm talking about. The fact of the matter is my brain is a mess, dude. It's like a summary of everything I've ever seen and experienced. But if you go online and you Google the fact that uh, the largest transition of wealth in history, you'll see lots of articles that literally, uh, and in a much better manner than I could, articulate how this all works. What I'm specifically talking about is in the world, for example. So if all the wealth within the Jewish community, when it goes from one generation to another, there are hundreds, if not thousands of vehicles in which they take their own money, recirculate, recirculate it back into their own community by creating jobs. They have their own industries. They have their own products, uh, factories, right? Uh, supply chain from top to bottom. They own it, all sorts of stuff. That's literally mm -hmm. just, that's what I mean by taking money and recirculating it back into your own community. That way, that's how you empower yourselves. We have no power. Um, and that's the reason, because we don't recirculate any of the money. So that's all I mean by taking that money. And until we build those factories and those industries and support those businesses, we're not going to have any tools. Um, and the idea of Futsal is literally just to allow for, inshallah, inshallah, more businesses, more factories, and more industries to be created so that we can start to take some of that wealth and recirculate it and build what we believe in. 100%. I completely agree. And like we just said, and we spoke about earlier, right? I mean, at this point, I think we got the mosques, we got the community centers. Now we need people on the ground floor empowering this next generation financially as well with services and with opportunities. So they can go out and they can actually, you know, do amazing things and build these great products, services, businesses that serve others. And that as well as a way to contribute to communities, which helps change the narrative, right? People that are, you know, that mean Muslims, it's not just, oh, that guy is just wearing a thobe and he's going to pray and he's going home and you never know what this guy's up to and what he's doing. And then you're super sketched out versus this person's a business owner. You're interacting on a daily basis. He treats you honestly with integrity. He serves you well. He serves you with excellence. And now you actually have a chance to communicate and interact and realize, hey, these guys are not so bad. It's not what the media is telling me, right? Yeah. So that also is, is part of that change is being able to be on the ground floor, interacting with people on a day to day and, you know, creating products, services that people benefit from, right? Whether it's yep. Muslims or even non-Muslims as well. Um, so complete in agreement with that. I got another question that I'll squeeze in for you, please. And this one is, uh, let's say I have money available to invest. What is the risk profile I can expect if I invest in one of the startups through Forza's platform? So that's an interesting question. Uh, if you have any information on that, that would be awesome. Yeah, um, the risk profile is, it's your risk profile, period. Okay. <laughs> I can't, I, if you don't want to take the risk, you shouldn't be investing. Meaning, uh, very simply put, this is very important, and I don't mean to say this at all, to belittle anybody. Um, if you're not comfortable completely and with your heart in the business that you're investing in, don't invest, number one. If you're not comfortable losing every penny you have, don't invest, period. It's that simple. Uh, if you're looking for guarantees in life, um, then, then this dean might be the wrong dean for you, right? Because there are no guarantees in this life. Um, mm. You know, no matter how you look at it, there's no, no guarantee. As far as reducing risk is concerned with a specific transaction, in my opinion, the best thing you can do is as long as there's some sort of a tangible asset that you're attaching your money to, not like, you know, not like American currency, right? If there's an actual business behind it or land or equity in a business that you believe in, um, these are ways to reduce that risk. Um, but again, I go back to don't look at risk profiles. They mean nothing. You mm. either you're comfortable with it and understand it or you don't. If you don't understand it, don't invest in it. 
Don't worry about that FOMO and all that blockchain Bitcoin. Do I don't own I don't own a single cryptocurrency. Mm. Yes. Okay. Fine. Because I'm broke. But that's not the point, right? <laughs> that's not the point. I right? can't say the same, bro. I want a bit of crypto, though. <laughs> no, no. I, I have to help, bro. I, I have FOMO. There's no question about it. What I'm saying is, I didn't initially understand it, and even when I saw the craze, I wasn't the dude that was like, "Oh, bro. Oh, man. I wish I had it." No. Mm. Now that I understand it, once I finally took the time to understand, it, I'll tell you, my money, my my heart wasn't FOMO'd for crypto. It was literally, it was a blockchain. It was blockchain because like an entrepreneur, I saw so many use cases and right. problems I could solve as soon as I get my first mill, right? Like as right. soon as I get this thing off the ground, I seen already like a dozen technology products that we can build that I believe will help people. The majority, I should say people, mm -hmm. the 80, 90% of people in the country and around the globe, inshallah, mm -hmm. but we'll get there later. So yeah, that risk profile is all you. Love it. Love it brother. Not, yeah. We got one more, brother. We got one more for you. This one is how much faith and resilience does it take to go all in financially for your business so risking potential life savings for both you and your partner i think that's a big one because we got a lot of entrepreneurs sometimes you know entrepreneurship is risky as you mentioned so faith resilience what should we do before we go all in you know is there a right time any opinions on that i know it's a big one <laughs> uh, no, it's it's important. It's a very, it's a really good yeah. question, um, and it's an extremely important question because you're essentially asking me, uh, and I'm not an investment expert, right? So you're you're essentially asking me, how do you, at what point do you make the decision to risk your life savings? Look, I'll tell you how I did it. That's how I'm going to answer this question. Love I'll tell it. you how I did it. Number one, very simply, um, belief. Yeah, again, dude, you don't have to be a religious guy. Understand that the reason you're doing it is for a good cause, and if you're sold on the fact that this is something that's beneficial for humanity, right? And it's a halal product and that it's something you want to do. That's the first step. The second step, again, do you have a family? Do you not have a family? I, I had a family, right? So I asked my wife. I got her permission. I had a backup plan. I knew that even if everything here failed, I could still pick up my bags and... I, I wouldn't have any pride left, but I'd pick up my bags, whatever I had left, and I'd take it back to Jersey where I have my parents and I can live with them if I needed to with my wife and my kids. So support system, very important. So after the belief and that, you know, you're like all pumped up and excited, if you're really thinking about spending your life savings like we did, um, understand this. <laughs> Everything's an educated risk, right? Like I would I, if I wasn't married, would I have risked everything knowing that I could have been thrown out on the streets? hundred percent. There's no question. Um, I've, you know, every, every decision I've ever made in my life, I'm all in or I'm not. It's that simple. Um, and you can make certain risks when you're single. Those risks you need to understand are no longer your place to make when you're married. That's it. And then you add more on top of that if you have children. So as long as everybody in your household is okay with the idea that, hey, you know what? I've got this idea. We need to risk our life savings that we had, you know, ready for this home. Instead, we want to do it over here and you believe it's beneficial for people, if all you are on the same page and you believe that you've got some sort of a backup system in the sense where if it fails, what can you do? Is there somewhere you can go and recreate yourself or live and you know not be so hurt that your whole family feels it, right? If you have those pieces, just read some nuffle, man. Just do it and go. Do it, right? But I t until you have all those pieces, right? <laughs> There's no reason to do it, honestly. I think you'd be silly. Um, it doesn't make sense because as a Muslim also, you know, it would behoove you to not do things in a manner that is very strategic in nature. Um, 
you know, it, it's your place to kind of know every exit, every back door, every side entrance, and know how it is you can not only protect yourself, but your family. So we had all those things. Alhamdulillah, I got my wife's permission, knowing if everything failed, I would pick up every single bag we have here and we'd move back and go to my parents' house. That was a blessing. And if you have all of these things, then I think your 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 risk is it's less inclined because money is money. It's, it's here today, gone tomorrow. Who cares? It's, it's not that important. It's the security really that's more important. So, yeah. Appreciate that's, you sharing that, brother. There's like a look for that. We got one more that we'll just squeeze in real quick and because I love this question here. Uh, this one's by one of our audience members watching from YouTube. So shout out for that. Um, brother Adil's asking, sorry, joining late. Would there be any book recommendation from Brother Osman? So any books that you recommend for entrepreneurs that are starting off, things they should look out for on their next Amazon purchase? Uh, I can give you two of my favorites from last year. Um, I'll tell you. Actually, damn, I don't know, man. I really like books. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, by the way, I live and uncut, gentlemen. I love this. I never, I never, I was not a reader, dude. Honestly, to be very frank with you, I wasn't a reader until I moved here. Um, because again, I had more time, right? I had like four hours. So, first and foremost, this is generic for any business you're ever going to do in life. Um, you should you should read this book simply, or if not read this specific book, it's called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Everything. You don't necessarily need to read the book. You can literally get the, the notes and whatnot. You can get them these days on like Amazon, right? You should understand what habits are as a Muslim, okay? So again, my audience, Muslim, I'm talking to you as a Muslim, as a businessman, the whole nine. You need to know what a habit is, how it's created and how it's formed. Because a habit at the end of the day is the end result of your nafs. Right. Once you understand how that nafs works or how that habit works, that's the only way. Like, you know, what is it? My dad used to say, um, the problem, the, the first problem, the first step towards solving a problem is a recognition of that problem. Simply put, every single problem that you have or any of you have in your life starts with a specific habit. You need to figure out how that happens. Right. So, again, Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. That's one of my favorites. Right. Um, if you're at all in the world of building marketplaces and platforms and you want to leverage technology to kind of solve a problem, uh, specifically, again, marketplaces and platforms, I'd say one of the best books I've ever read uh, that taught me the most about it. Um, and remember, I'm simple, bro. I, I dropped out of high school, man. So, you know, I can't be reading books with too much math and numbers. It gives me a headache. I need things that can speak on my level because once I understand the concept, I can re-engineer it a hundred different ways. Mm -hmm. So it's called Platform Revolution. Uh, by Jeffrey G. Parker. Um, again, really great insights in regards to the overall development of a platform, the pros and cons, how to monetize it, create various different monetization strategies, what to look for, what pitfalls are, pretty much all you need to know to understand how the world of platform technology works, Amazing. right? Um, two more, two, more uh, two or three more. Uh, the New Power. Uh, the New Power is a book by Jeremy Hyman's. Uh, if I was to summarize it really quick, Okay, I, let, let me take a quick second. This is important, right? So go for it. the businesses and the ideas that I had when I was younger, let's just talk 15, 20 years ago, um, would have cost me millions or tens of millions to do. Those exact same businesses, and some of them are still, there's still an opportunity for them, which I'm holding on to for dear life, right? Today will cost me a small, tiny fraction, right? We're going to eventually become a, you know, an Islamic bank. I don't think the timing is right right now. There's a lot of legal and compliance stuff happening around the world and blah, blah, blah. But anyway... It would have cost me close to $150 million to build the bank that I have my vision for. 
just 15 to 18 years ago. Today, it would cost me less than a half a million dollars roughly to put together that MVP. If I want to do it really well, I do it for like 2 million. Why? Same thing. If I want to compete with Kellogg's or uh, you know Unilever, Johnson & Johnson, I swear to God, anybody can do it. It is not hard. If you want to create a halal consumer goods product, anybody can do it. It just takes a little bit of money. Um, if I, you know, and again, one of those things that's in my little books of things to do, and I want to compete with them and you know, blow them out the water with good halal quality products. Let me tell you how it's easy. They spent all the money doing the R&D. They spent the money building the factories. Like I'm spending the money to build a platform, inshallah, that'll be like global in nature. Once these things are done, that's the highest, that's where the majority of your initial capital go when building these industries, okay? So what does that mean? Now they've got every food product you can think of. You can find these factories, literally take any product off the shelf, say, I want your product like this. I will change a little bit here, add some halal ingredients to it. Halas, I'm done. Now I can take product by product by product that I want. I can recreate my own Unilever or Johnson & Johnson, Procter Gamble, whatever the hell it is, right? I can literally recreate every one from them and they're happy to give it to me if I can prove the demand and show them where I want to do it. So going back to the importance of understanding how power works, people thought that I was an idiot 15 years ago, 20 years ago when I said, I'm going to, you know, change the world, right? Because they couldn't understand it. If you really want to understand how power, you know, socioeconomic power and things like that just work from a macro and a micro level and how it's changed and how it's really easy for us to now do what we want to do. This is a really good book, uh, The New Power, again, by Jeremy Himes. That'll kind of give you a, again, a layman's understanding as to how this power transformation has happened over the last few decades. And finally, the last two, which I would say probably for me were the most defining. Um, one, <laughs> a thousand and one inventions. Um, my life wasn't, wasn't necessarily changed by this book. This is a book about the Islamic golden age, specific talking about a lot of the invention and the things that Muslims came out with. My specific change in my life was by one specific quote by a brother named Al-Jazari. Um, I, I don't have it on me and I don't want to butcher it either. But once I realized what we as Muslims did for the world, I was empowered. My life changed. And finally, as any businessman, um, there's a book here. It came across. And I, read a, I read seven or eight different books. As an entrepreneur, you want to make sure the culture you create and the company and the manner in which you structure it, the vision, the mission, the whole nine, right? Everything should be Islamic in nature. I can tell you with certainty, everything I've done, I've tried a lot to find somebody to give me some framework. There's no framework out there. Nobody. I've tried, unless I'm missing it. If you know somebody, please tell me. I spent a good three to four months hardcore trying to find something. This book is a good overall framework. And this was one of the books that gave me the best understanding as to the prophetic culture in managing a business. And hands down, one of the most beautiful reads that I've ever had gave me the most insight. In fact, it gave me so much motivation that I'm, we're creating our own actual framework for entrepreneurs and businesses to build and create their own structure and um, kind of, uh, uh, what is it called? It's, I think we're calling it a uh, Islamic uh, uh, the culture code, the culture code handbook, the Islamic culture code handbook, uh, inshallah, hopefully be out during the last 10 days of Ramadan. Um, yeah, those are it. I'll, I'll drop you a text, bro, because I can talk and talk and talk. Uh, 100%. Yeah, with, with the authors and whatever, if you need. 100%, brother. Well, you guys heard it here, man. You guys, and I, I want to just reiterate, we talked about the power of habit. We talked about uh, 1001 inventions. We talked about new power. We talked about uh, the last one as well, which you mentioned is Islam and management. Correct. Management, Dr. Nasser right. uh, Jabnoon, 
and then that's platform right. evolution and platform evolution that's correct yeah, guys yeah. so there's your list there's your list guys make sure to go and get these books audible on amazon kindle whatever you need to do go and get that information and i'm definitely going to get islam and management because i haven't heard about that before so i'm yeah. really really interested and excited to see what's in there inshallah so uh, you'll, you'll love it bro you'll love it i love it man i thank you for that brother well look we took enough of your time and i just want to thank you so much for being here and sharing so generously with us your wisdom your knowledge your experiences and honestly, I want to bring you back, inshallah, in the future. So hopefully we can get you back on, share more about your story and everything inshallah. else. Go for it. Whenever you need, bro. I'm always happy. How are you, man? How are you? I'll talk to you guys. Salaam Thank you. Wait, hold on, hold on. Before you go, before you go, before you go. Yes. We got to make sure that we get people to support you and follow you and make sure they support Forza Capital. So where should they go before that? Yeah, look, you can go to, uh, you know, um, honestly, the best way to support us is if you can, uh, you know, hit me up on LinkedIn. If you okay. see something that you find valuable and insightful, we share it. Um, go to Forza Capital if you want, uh, you know, uh, sign up. Um, again, I'm not too too keen on getting too many people. I don't want you to get your, uh, your hopes up in the sense where we don't have enough opportunities that we've been able to vet. I'm limited um, with, unfortunately, you know, uh, my own finances or whatever. Um, but in a very short period of time, I'm, I'm sure, inshallah, we'll figure that out. So more importantly, the best way to support us, uh, again, keep us in your du'as first and foremost. Secondly, if you're with, connected with me on LinkedIn, if you see something that you feel is insightful, just share it. Simple. That's, that's all we need. Nothing more. Awesome, guys. So you watch it here. Make sure to go on Forza.Capital. That's their website as well. And LinkedIn, you'll find him, Osman Wahid, and his really unique bio, brown guy with a beard. Make sure you look for that. That's where you'll find him, inshallah. And um, honestly, brother, I just want to, again, just reiterate my gratitude to you for coming on here, for sharing your wisdom. I thank uh, you for the opportunity, bro. I really do. How are you, man? Honestly, the pleasure was all mine. And thank you guys for watching. Jazakallah khair, guys. Make sure to subscribe, whether you're on YouTube, listening to Apple Podcasts or Spotify later. Just make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast, support us, share it with your friends, because we bring people like Osman every week to share their wisdom with you guys. See you next time. Assalamualaikum.